Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as Matt Fortuna. We'll talk a little bit of NFL draft and Notre Dame's uh, production there, but spring game. There was a, a, a lot to take away from it. Uh, I was t- talking to some people around Notre Dame. I think it was it was a spring game for a writer, but not a great spring game for a broadcaster. Um, you know, 3-3 at the half. Neither of the top two quarterbacks lead a touchdown drive. Um but if you're looking for good message board posts and hot take columns, then the four-star freshman quarterback coming in and leading a couple scoring drives and looking like he might be something down the road, I thought was uh, there, there was a lot to unpack from that, at least. I wonder who you're talking to. And by the way, you're going to come around to my hot take from last show where, hey, maybe Buckner will start <laughs> uh, this fall. That seems a little... I don't know. Less takey and more realistic at, after Saturday if we're going to overreact here. Your, your take has gone from boiling hot to like just <laughs> steamy. It's a little steamy. A little steamy. I'll say this. I mean, perfect spring game for us because it's just like, wow, red meat. Four-star quarterback looks great. Let's all overreact. Uh, he was the only one not in a red jersey, though, and I think that does give you like the most to take away from, at least among the three quarterbacks. Like He was playing real football out there. He was eligible to get hit and had to think on his feet. And so you're able to digest a little bit more watching Tyler Buckner play than you were Jack Cohn or Drew Pine. Now, look, all guys I think showed a lot of good and and some not so good. I mean, I thought the first pass of the game, uh, the first play of the game, Jack Cohn to Joe Wilkins for I think 32 yards to the quarter was a great throw. Uh, The 41-yarder from Drew Pine uh, to Braden Lindsey down the middle might have been the best throw of any quarterback all day. And Buckner obviously orchestrated the two touchdown drives. I thought the throw to Lindsey to set up the touchdown was actually you know, way behind Lindsey and should have been a touchdown throw, although he made up for that you know a couple plays later. But, um, look, it was it was an interesting – I think you tweeted, you know, Jack Cohn's still in to start the fourth quarter. Not sure if that's what you want for your spring game, but it definitely makes it a lot more interesting. And that's probably the ultimate takeaway. And to hear Brian Kelly speak post game about it, I mean, he sounded like a coach who um, – you know, knows they got some growing up to do, but is confident that they they can reach that place if they all do the right things. I mean, you know, he said however many different iterations of we don't want to be a good team, we want to be a great team. We got to do this, this, and this to get there. And um, again, you know, there, there's only so much tangible stuff we can take away from the last 15 practices. But we saw what we saw on Saturday. We heard what we heard from Brian Kelly afterward. And I, you know, I'm. I'm not concerned uh, if I'm a Notre Dame fan, but but I I guess I'd say I'm intrigued because I think they're this season and this roster can go in a number of different ways, probably more ways than I would have anticipated mm-hmm. at the start of spring. I think that is really what Notre Dame football is. It, w- it was a super interesting spring that we didn't get to cover in person due to COVID stuff, uh, and I think it is going to be get a fascinating season um, where this is not. This is just not a very typical Notre Dame team, um, how it's built. You don't have grad transfer quarterbacks. You don't have rebuild offensive lines. Um, so what what this season turns out to be is, I think, really up in the air. And I, you know, I hear Brian Kelly and understand what he's saying about, you know, we are a good team and we want it to be a great team. I, I don't know if Notre Dame is, has a great team in it. 
um, this season. It may have a great team on a few weekends, um, but I do think keeping up that pressure from Kelly is smart and necessary because at a minimum, you can go from good to very good. And with this schedule, very good is going to get you to 10-2 and two and probably a New Year's Six kind of game. I think they might have great in them, but it's going to take every question mark to be answered and every questionable freshman who's probably going to start or see extended time to be ahead of schedule. And that that's asking a lot of anyone, let alone a group of 18 and 22 year olds. But I mean, you look at that schedule and yeah, I mean, I'd venture to guess they're going to be favored in all 12 games right now. I mean, Jack Sorbick broke it down during halftime with Paul Burmeister and, you know, he, he did say it's, it's probably more challenging than it looks. They're going to have a number of top 15 and, and ranked teams in there probably more than they did last year. But um, it's going to depend on the development, um, the adaptation, if you will, to Matt Bayless' strength program, the growth during this X number of weeks period between the end of spring and when they all come back uh, and assemble for fall camp in August. But I wouldn't say they don't have great in them. I think it's possible. I just think it's going to take a lot more to get there than it did in previous seasons when you bring back an Ian Book in a returning offensive line. And we'll get to the draft, but I mean, if this draft wasn't a testament to Matt Bayless, and you brought this up with Brian Kelly you know, this morning, and to see the way they've reloaded on the offensive line, to see what we've seen so far from the newcomers this spring on the offensive line, the young guys... I think I'm a little bit more optimistic maybe than I would have been a couple weeks ago just because they've proven they can get these guys to where they want to go, at least at those positions. And if you have that, you've got a great place to start from and and you're going to be in a position to win every game this year. I really came away from the spring game thinking that, you know, you mentioned having question marks answered or questions answered in the affirmative. You know, George Tack is a tight end, I think is somebody that may significant progress. Shane Simon at linebacker made progress. Um, maybe Lindsay and keys a little bit inconsistent. Um, and then, you know, Cam Hart and Ramon Henderson are a couple corners who have not played and Notre Dame really needs them. I'm not sure that when spring practice started or when Marcus Freeman was hired that they, they knew they had a boundary corner who could get out there and, and deliver at the rate that they did. But I, I know they are publicly very high on Cam Hart and privately very high on Cam Hart. And if, if that's a hit, um, it would certainly make me look at this defense and maybe this team differently for this season. The, the stat of the weekend for me is really to both Notre Dame football spring game and Notre Dame football in the draft, both of which uh, were front and center on Saturday. I know Notre Dame had the second most picks behind Alabama, but the, the biggest takeaway for me as it relates to Notre Dame moving forward is, this is from our, our esteemed editor, Jason Starrett, Notre Dame in 2021 just became the first school to produce three offensive linemen taken with the, within the first three rounds of a single draft since 2001 Michigan, and before that, it hadn't been done since 1982 Penn State. One, that stat shocks me that no one else has done that because you would think almost Notre Dame would have done that because they've had so much right. offensive line success in recent years. But when you add that nugget on top of the fact that this was the, the basically the starting offensive line that was tasked with replacing Mike McGlinchey, and Quinn and Nelson, who were a pair of top 10 picks just three years earlier in 2018, uh, that's when you're like, wow, like you knew these guys were good. You knew they won the Joe Moore Award a couple of years ago and were a finalist for it again this year. You knew that was their bread and butter, their identity. Now you hear those stats, both 2018 and this year, and you look at this team, which is replacing a lot of starters, but also is might be starting two true freshmen come opening day. And you start to wonder, I mean, it's easy to get excited and think, all right, how far can we take this? Like, how good can we be? We These guys are going to be drafted 
three, four years from now. I think, you know, barring injury, we, we can safely say that. Can they be ready to basically kick ass week one against Florida State? And that's a very tall order and a tall ask of a group of guys who have never played a college football game before, mostly. But I think you can at least put that out there um, when you see the proof that's in the pudding when it comes to the way this place has developed offensive linemen. I mean, I just think that's the ultimate testament to this development, particularly in the trenches. Um, it has to get you excited if you're a Notre Dame fan. Yeah, I the offensive line, I am wary might be too strong of a word, but I do think that that is going to be a... I think I wrote this on Saturday. Like that is going to be build the airplane while you're flying it this season. Um, I, I do not expect much ass kicking on opening night at Florida State from an offensive line that could have two true freshmen, um, Zeke Carell who started two games, Josh Lugo I think started eight. Uh, it is as inexperienced an offensive line as I think I have covered at Notre Dame. Um, I've covered a bunch of them, some good, some bad. I think this line could still be good, but. I mean, you, you've you seen the, some of the best and the worst of, of Notre Dame under Brian Kelly. Like, when Notre Dame's offensive line is really, really good, Notre Dame is really, really good. When the offensive line is shaky, the season is shaky. Um, and I, th- I think this offensive line could be really, really good by the end, but uh, through September and maybe maybe this season, because, you know, freshmen are freshmen the whole year, um, It's I think it, you're going to have some growing pains along the way that you're going to have to live with. The building the airplane as a fly analogy, I believe, was uh, an Notre Dame press release about playing through COVID, and they yes. had to undefeat a regular season. So maybe this will turn out better than uh, geniuses than initially, than initially expected. You know, it's interesting because there's really two Notre Dame programs under Brian Kelly, right? There's the Paul Longo 2010 to 2016 program, and then there's the Matt Bayless 2017 to present program, and within that change, not only was a new strength coach, but was Brian Kelly essentially giving up play calling and the identity of this offense, not completely changing, but leaning much more into its strengths and what it has on the roster and not just trying to be something for the sake of being something. And so I think, you know, when we look back at offensive lines that maybe weren't that great in Notre Dame or not as good as the recent ones, I think that needs to be taken into consideration as well. They weren't asked to do the same things that, they're being asked to do now. I mean, this place, if it's not O-line U at this point, I, I don't know what is. I mean, you know what you're going to get from them pretty much week in and week out and year in and year out. Along with tight ends, I mean, you had a great stat that you tweeted about how every number one tight end on opening day for Notre Dame has developed into an NFL draft pick since 2003. And that doesn't include Michael Mayer, who's obviously probably going to be the first one taken among all of them uh, two years from now. So you have an identity, you have a player development program, you have... I mean, that's a great place to start from. Again, I know it's not the same pieces and faces from last year, and that's further complicated when you have a new guy running the offense, whoever that may be, a quarterback. But I, I just come out of this a little more optimistic when I have that the, those finite imprint numbers and in, in that proof that I can see than I, than I would maybe elsewhere if they, they were just kind of starting from scratch over and over again. I think there's there's definitely a lot to that. I mean, it kind of gets back to the other positions, right? Like Notre Dame has earned the benefit of the doubt um, with their success over the last four seasons. And I mean, look, if I had to- if I tell you that Notre Dame's home winning streak, 
will continue through 2021, and Notre Dame's streak of beating unranked opponents will continue through 2021. That's that's pretty much like does eleven in- and one, eleven and one minimum. Does that include Wisconsin? That is a home game. <laughs> I be- actually, I believe that is a road game. Is it? Uh, oh, I if thought... you look at the fine print, you might, you it might was, be right. Yeah, it right. was a weird. They were home. Notre Dame was home. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. So okay. that that would be. You could count that as a loss because it will definitely be a ranked team, and it's not at home. But Florida State's not going to be ranked. Stanford's not going to be ranked. I don't think Virginia or Virginia Tech are going to be ranked, and everything else is in Notre Dame Stadium. So it's a it's eleven games that suit your. 32 straight home wins and 24 straight, or 32 straight wins over unranked teams and 24 straight home wins. If those continue through the season, that gets you to 11 and one, and then you're definitely going. I mean, you're in the playoff conversation at the end of the year, and at that point, we would all look stupid questioning Brian Kelly's like good to great post spring game uh, take. On the subject of us looking stupid, Pete, we we did <laughs> some over unders on the last podcast. I've lost my notes, unfortunately. I, oh, I, I, I have them all. Okay, thank you. You won because you got one right, and <laughs> the rest of us got wrong on everything. Just to recap, we both said Jeremiah Uso-Karamoa would be first round. He went in the second. I said Liam Eikenberg would go in the second round, or first round. You said second. He went in the second. That was the only one any of us got right. Uh, Tommy Trump. Oh, I'm sorry. We we all got we both got Tommy Trumbull right. So you beat me two to one. We all had third round, and he went third round. Aaron Banks, I had fourth. You had third. He went second. Robert Hainsey, I had fourth. You had fourth. He went third. Adeyong DJ, we both had sixth. He went fifth. Dalen Hayes, I had seventh. You had undrafted. He went fifth. Ian Book, I had fifth. You had sixth. He went fourth. Ben Skaronic, we both had undrafted free agent. He went seventh, and uh, we both had Javon McKinley undrafted, and he went undrafted. So you win two to one. I guess I owe you something big. That doesn't it's really stay. You 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 suck the least out of the two of yeah. us. So <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've won the bet, but yet the beer you're going to owe me is like Michelob. An old Ultra. style, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> not even old style. Like <laughs> we we weren't even good enough to win an old style on that one. But it's. One, there there were some good tweets over the weekend. Um, I really appreciated the ACC conferences um, tweet about the NFL draft and how successful the ACC was. And I'm gonna I'm gonna read it out loud just because it was it was just so delicious. From the ACC football account, 51 players who either played for an ACC team or competed last year in the league were selected in the 2021 NFL draft. That would be the how do you say Notre Dame without saying Notre Dame Jeopardy answer. You know, I'm fine with that because anytime Notre Dame has an ACC scholar-athlete on the football team, they put him on there and they say he's a Notre Dame student-athlete competing at an ACC institution or some kind of phrase that right. makes it count. So I'm okay with that. And, hey, if you can pump up two teams in the playoff like the ACC had last year and have an all-playoff conference title game, you go for that. You know our friends in the SEC will absolutely take every single yeah. PR advantage they possibly can. So you got to do the same if you're the ACC, especially – when it comes to your football products. Uh, I can't believe how bad we are all in all this. I mean, I think outside of Jeremiah Uso-Karamoa, who went way lower than I think anyone thought he would go, everyone else went way higher than we thought we'd go. Like, right. Ian Book, fourth rounder, good for him. Now, that's that's going to be a very interesting Saints QB room, and not just because the guy he's replacing is now going to be the game analyst for, for Notre Dame this year on NBC, Drew Brees. You're talking about Jameis Winston, a former five-star, number one pick, and Heisman winner, who's never really been able to figure it all out at the NFL level. Taysom Hill, who... 
is the most talked about bad quarterback I think I've ever seen in my life in the NFL. Trevor Simeon, who actually won at Notre Dame as Northwestern's quarterback in 2014 and is still kicking around in the NFL. Another guy who's undefeated in Notre Dame Stadium. (laughs) And (laughs) And Ian Buck, who is Ian Buck and is the same, pretty much the same build, you know, height and weight as the guy he's might be replacing us in Drew Brees. So Sean Payton knows what he's doing at that position. I'm sure somehow Taysom Hill will come out as the opening day starter and we'll go from there. But th- that's for a number of reasons. And you mentioned he can now go get beers at Tulane with his former offense coordinator, Chip Long, right. in New Orleans now as well. Um, that'll be a fascinating just quarterback football experiment when you put those four names and that coach together. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. Yeah, no, I, I am too. I I do not watch much NFL football because I try to have a life on Sundays. Me but too. if I wa- if I watch the Browns, I would be very interested to see how Usu Kormo fits into that mix. Um, and you know, I to me the one of the draft stories is always like teams and programs that promote. Oh, we had this many picks, and then you sort of reverse engineer it and be like, well, why didn't you win right. that many games? Um, but Pittsburgh, I think that. Um, yeah, Pittsburgh, for example. But I think Notre Dame, it was a real compliment. Like, it it backed up what we saw. For how bad we were predicting what round these guys would go in, um, I do think we were accurate in, like, these guys will be all picked, and it is a compliment to, like, where Notre Dame is. I feel like they won at a rate um, commensurate with the NFL draft picks that they had. They did. I mean, you know, me and you were texting during the first round and you just see Bama, Bama, Bama. They had, you know, six first round picks, tied the record they, Miami. Would have they had also se- won at a rate yes. commensurate with it. They, they almost, they would have had seven, I think, if Landon Dickerson doesn't tear his ACL in the SEC title game. But they get six first round picks and like, it's easy as I did and everyone else probably did while watching it thinking like, how did any team, ever, like, I don't want to hang a banner say Notre Dame covered against Alabama, but like, you look at that in the first round and you're like, holy crap, how did anyone even like stay on the field with these guys? They were that good. And then when it all plays out, you see Bam, I think, had one more than Notre Dame. But much like recruiting, right? Not all four-star prospects are equal. Not all draft picks are equal. Six of Alabama's were in the first round, and one of their later ones was a long snapper. Well, you know, you could see the difference um, all over the place here. One note, you mentioned the Browns. Uh, I was unaware of this until Brian Kelly mentioned it this morning. Joe Woods, the Browns defense coordinator, was a DB's coach for Kelly at Grand Valley State from 1994 to 1996. Uh, so maybe he can help him with how to use this unique talent that is JOK. But I th- the Browns, not to get too far down the road with the NFL, I thought the Browns might have had the best draft of anyone. I just love what they did. And I know they were the hometown team, but it, it was pretty cool to see them make the picks that I think a lot of people want to see them make. Yeah, no, that was um, that was intriguing. And, you know, it's like next year – Notre Dame's not going to have two first-round picks next year or six first-round picks next year, but they'll definitely have one first-round pick next year. Um, so getting back to that, and that was it was one of the stats. A couple things, stats that I wanted to tweet out, but they did not occur, so I kept them to myself, was you know that Eichenberg not going in the first round uh, snapped really one of the most absurd streaks of the BK era where he had had a first-round pick start at left tackle in every game but two. Um, Eichenberg went in the second so that sort of came to an end uh and then i was sure wusu cormo was going to go in the Mm -hmm. first round and if that had occurred i believe he would have been notre dame's ninth shoot now i'm balking it's ninth or tenth first round pick i believe tenth and that would have been one behind 
the first round pick total of Lou Holtz. Which is crazy to say out loud because you would never yes. think of that. I know Brian Kelly beat Lou Holtz, past Lou Holtz, uh, on the wins chart this past season, but you know, the way people talk about Lou Holtz in that era of Notre Dame football, and rightfully so, uh, you just like Brian Kelly has never gotten that kind of credit, I don't think, at least nationally and frankly from the fan base as well. Um, Matt, look, we could do a whole narrative podcast series on the differences in personalities between those two guys, the differences in personalities between Lou Holtz and really any human being who's ever walked this <laughs> earth, but uh, I do think it's a testament. And we heard Brian Kelly say it again today, you know, like it's important for others to build off our success. It doesn't matter whether you're a two or five star, you need that fire inside you to succeed under the strength and conditioning program. Uh, you know, we got asked about the 2016 defensive end class, which no one I think going in would have thought all of them would be drafted, but they were. And Brian Kelly, the ultimate quote that you were able to tweet before I did, stars are important. I get that, uh, which ended up being a nice segue to the news that broke right after um, he hung up, which was Jordan Johnson, the former five star receiver, announcing his intentions or not, at least announcing that he will be in the transfer portal. Um, don't yeah, know. I mean, maybe we could put the. Close the book on this one unless he has a 100-yard opener for whoever he plays for next year. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> thus thus ends a player who is, I think, covered differently than he was practicing, right? I mean, that's probably the best way to put well, it. Well, and he was he, hyped up. I mean, there are people who will look at this and say, see, recruiting rankings don't matter that much. And, you know, I think the, the more... Um, they'll say it exactly in that tone, though. Yes. The more in tune among <laughs> us will say, well, no, like... That ha- like yeah. The more Who's your best star- player? Oh, it's oh, it's Michael Mayer, right? Yeah, oh, okay. Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like yeah. the more five stars you have, the more you can recover from the five star who one, fails. One busting. Yes. Um, that's. I mean, that's the. Th- if you look at Alabama's classes and Clemson's classes and Ohio State's classes, the five stars don't always hit. But when one misses there, there's another one to replace him. Um, you know, Alabama has had, I think, a handful of five-star running backs that have been busts, but it doesn't matter because they have three more five-star running backs ready to go. I mean, there was, I believe they, it was as a pro football focus tweet um, that came out. It was kind of the, uh, you know, how, how it started, how it's going. And there's a picture from Media Day Alabama where you see Judy, Devonta Smith, Henry Ruggs, and Jalen Waddle together. Just that's our, that's your receiver room, um, all first round picks. So and, and the guys who are throwing them the ball, mind you, Jalen Hurts, Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Mac Jones, two first round picks oh, and a guy who's an NFL starter. Two first round picks and a guy who's an NFL starter who was a right. second round pick. So yeah, yeah. So that's like not sometimes all the five stars hit, and then you turn into Alabama last season. Um, most of the time they do not, but if you have five stars to replace five stars or top hundred kids to replace top hundred kids that don't work out. Um, that's the healthy place that you want to be. Um, and that, I think that's sort of the challenge for Notre Dame now with, you know, Reese Freeman, um, you know, Elston taking over recruiting is how do you go out and get guys that might not be predisposed to come to Notre Dame in the first place? Um, Cause if when you can do that at a higher level, that's when I think you have a chance to have like, you know, a Jordan Johnson leave, but two Lorenzo Styles behind him. Um, you know, right now Notre Dame is Jordan Johnson leaves. There's one Lorenzo Styles. They really need to have more guys like that to to ensure that they don't you know run into some dead ends here. 
Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with Kevin Austin. I think everyone in that building is in agreement that he'll be the game changer they need if he can stay healthy. But unfortunately, yes. that has just never been the case, which again, the more of these guys you have, the more of these injuries or, or right. just not good enough um, you, you can you can handle. Um, uh, to put the Jordan Johnson thing to bed, I mean, look, what, which of all will be interesting to see what happens. I'm sure people will overreact the minute he does something good for his new team, wherever that team may be. But every person to a man, and this is before he transferred, so this isn't like after the fact, you know, dissing him on the way out stuff. But everyone, me and you both talked to, like, it sounded like this was just a gross misevaluation by the recruiting media. Uh, yeah, not not by like I think it's somebody Notre Dame would take a hundred times out of a hundred, but he was more of like a a low four star mm-hmm. prospect than a top fifty player in the country or a top twenty five player in the country, and that's ultimately I think that was the weight that dragged the entire thing down. Um, you know, would he have made it if his ranking was different? No, but he would have been scrutinized a lot differently. Um, you know, he, when he, when he departed, we might not have even mentioned it on this podcast. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. Uh, still, still refreshing the portal and he's not in there yet, but I mean, he'll, he'll be in there shortly. And, you know, I, I do, I, have you heard anyone else and I, not, not to sound the alarm, but just the Monday after spring game is when this thing's the busiest because everyone figures out where they stand and right. they make their decisions from there. And now, I mean, the transfer rules are cha- have right. changed. Um, so it's a, a little bit easier to, to go. I mean, I, I'm always sort of a believer. It's like, what's a, a sophomore who got beat out by a freshman or a junior who got beat out by a sophomore. Those are, those are the guys that probably mm-hmm. have hard decisions to make. Um, there, you know, does does Blake Fisher make a, a an offensive tackle reevaluate? Does Rocco Spindler make a guard reevaluate? That's that's possible, um, but I I don't look at Notre Dame's roster and think like, you know, Sebo Flemister is a senior. He's behind Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree. There's I I hear nothing from the Goog that would make you think like that's one of, that's an older player behind two younger players who's looking to like okay, I just need another opportunity. I think. You know, Notre Dame has a pretty good culture right now. Like, I I don't think that the transfer ruling is going to affect them a whole lot in a negative way because guys come here pretty much eyes wide open that, you know, the degree is what's the most valuable thing you can get out of here. Um, And the guys that do leave are going to be ones that have not played and probably didn't have a chance to play. So those are... Those guys left every year in the old transfer rules. Those guys will leave every year in the new transfer rules too. I don't. I don't think it's going to be that much different. I mean, if you're a SIBO, if you're not graduated, you're pretty close to it. So I would imagine for a lot of these guys at a school like Notre Dame, if you've reached you know mile 25 of the 26.2 mile marathon, mm-hmm. you're going to suck it up and grind it out and get that degree before you make any decisions because you'll at least hold up your end of the bargain and then get a chance to play elsewhere. Uh, at least that would be my philosophy with it. But yeah, it's been all quiet out of the coop so far. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, somebody, the safety like Litchfield Ajvon is going to have a hard time getting on the field, but super high academic kid, super high character kid. Like that's, that's somebody Notre Dame would want to stay. And I think somebody who would want to stay at Notre Dame, um, you know, just sort of battle out and see if he can contribute while getting a, a high end degree. So it's, um, I, I'm I'm glad that you're on the portal uh, duty because you're right. This is this has got to be a pretty wild week for that. Um, as guys understand where they are and where they are not. 
Never as bad as basketball. That that much is clear. <laughs> Never. Seems much easier uh, to leave in basketball. Do we do we want to like make fools of ourselves again and start guessing like where these guys will will Willie and Book start a game? What you know will any of these offense linemen start a game? Or do I, we, we ought to. I'll save that for August. Um, okay. I, I could save, save looking like an idiot until August on that. Or I have other things that I can look like an idiot on at current time. Speaking of which, how, how are the South Bend Seahawks doing? <laughs> uh, yeah. So we, we suffered a, a heartbreaking 24-12 uh, defeat. Uh, we got hit by a trick play, which was hard to stomach because I could Ugh. see it coming, but I can't get a first grader to like, hey, hey, um, don't – don't get sucked in by the halfback option pass. So we fell to one and one in the season. Uh, drowned my sorrows with Tate afterwards with uh, frozen cokes from Burger King, and then uh, oddly, one of his friend's parents emailed me about a flag football camp uh, in the summer after the season, and I was I blindly was like, yeah, Tate would love to do that. Um, can you shoot me the link to sign up? Signed up. It's in Fort Wayne. I think on June eighteenth. Who's hosting it? Tyler Eifert. New Orleans Saints quarterback Ian Book. Oh. So, <laughs> in Fort so, Wayne, no. Yeah, I would have guessed like Skoranek or Jalen no, Smith. Maybe, maybe Skoranek will show up and catch passes. But uh, so it will be too late to save the Seahawks season. However, perhaps for whatever team Tate is on in the future, he will pick up a few tips from Notre Dame's all-time winningest quarterback uh, in mid-June. Wow. So we have Pete Sampson ripping a first grader's traits, already <laughs> sending his quarterback to a private coach in the offseason. <laughs> After his first loss, what else? Um, what, look, what else? That's the first. Here's next the step. deal. I'm saying his current coach, which is me, is not is not getting the job done. I guess in this uh, in this setup. But you, you seem yeah. to uh, you're taking a better approach this than Brian Kelly did today when he got asked why quarterbacks haven't um, fared in the NFL the way <laughs> offense linemen and tight ends did. I, I was a little surprised that he took exception to that the way he did. It wasn't anything too crazy, but he's basically like, I don't know what you're talking about. My job's win football games, but I mean, it's not a not to pick it apart, but I mean, other than Deshaun Kaiser getting drafted, I don't know. I mean, am I missing I, anything? Yeah, no. I, I was struck by like he. I think he took that a little sideways, but I but I agree with him. I I've never quite understood why a player's success in the NFL reflects positively or negatively on the college coach. Like, I don't think anyone's like. Well, Lloyd Carr must be the greatest college coach of all time because sure. he produced Tom Brady. Like, that doesn't make any sense. No, um, he held back Tom Brady the way Dean Smith yeah, exactly. held back Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, it just is. It's just one of those things. Like, what they do at the next level is all on them, and Notre, Notre Dame can just wash its hands of like there's a clean break. Once you go to the pros, that's on you. That's on the organization. I don't think it has anything to do with with the college you come from. That said. I do think like offensive linemen coming out of Notre Dame probably get the benefit of the doubt because they've earned it um, because of who they you know being coached by Harry Heastan, playing in this system, playing on this stage. But I you know whether Jeremiah Wusu Kormoa clicks or doesn't in Cleveland, I don't think it's going to have anything to do with Notre Dame or Clark Lee. No, I mean I think I think reps matter. I mean I think we saw that with Justin Fields because Ohio State has never really for all the great quarterbacks they've had in college they haven't really put one in the NFL who's done anything of note. Um, I hope that changes for my Bears fans and for the city of Chicago. But um, I, the other part of it, too, is like Brian Kelly is running a spread offense 
for the first half of his career at Notre Dame when the NFL still thumbed its nose at spread offenses and thought that was something that was going to be a gimmick, and now everyone's doing that. So, yeah, yeah. I, I don't I don't think there's any correlation between A and B here. Um, but, but, you know, Ian Book does have a chance, I think, to, to be the first one in quite a long time to, to maybe make a name for himself at the NFL. I don't know. I mean, that, that, that Saints situation from a quarterback standpoint with Drew Brees not there anymore is just so – unique and mesmerizing, I think, to football fans that I'll, I'll be curious to see which way it goes. And it's so different than what Kaiser ran into in Cleveland. Like, Cleveland was dysfunctional at that point. Um, and I'm not saying Kaiser should have played or, you know, was, like, screwed by the situation, but it, it was not a good marriage of uh, franchise and prospect, whereas in New Orleans, they know what they're doing down there. Sean Payton knows what he's doing down there. Um, I think Ian Book is probably a little bit more of steady personality than what Deshaun was. So I, I'll be fascinated to see how that plays out. It's, you know, you, I would never predict like who clicks in the NFL and who doesn't at the quarterback position. Cause it just, I think was it John Wolford from Wake Forest was starting in the NFL playoffs last year. Like that. Yeah, he was. It's, and Kendall, Hill, Kendall hit it started cause he got signed off the street when the entire Broncos quarterback room got caught up in contact racing. Uh, which yeah. is interesting. It's just it's a total mystery what what clicks in the NFL and what doesn't. So I mean, more power to Ian Book for being the guy that clicks. Um, I at this point nothing would nothing would surprise me. Um, you know, on that front. No, there's a reason all of us overreact to quarterbacks in the draft because it's just not. It's the furthest thing from a sure thing. So many careers have mm-hmm. been ruined now. I think most of us could have told you mortgaging the future and trading up to get Mitch Trubisky probably wasn't a great idea in real time. But again, I, I kind of get the philosophy behind it because if you get that right, you get everything right. And your, your career and your franchise is pretty much set not to belabor the point, but I was on our live draft blog um, throughout the week. You totally live in Chicago. Don't you? What draft? <laughs> yes. The draft fields, like even going back to Trubisky. Well, here's one Notre Dame centric. Um, we got thrown a roundtable question. Who's the most disappointing second-round pick over the last 10 years? And the picture running with it is one of Deshaun Kaiser wearing a Raiders t-shirt. Look it up in the sky. Our colleague Lindsey Jones said him. I mean, I don't disagree with it, but I think the only answer is the one I put, which is Roberto Aguayo, who got traded up. Who the Bron- Brown ugh, Bucks traded up for to draft in the second round, a kicker. Um, and the general manager who made that trade, Jason Light. Redeemed himself five years later by putting together Super Bowl winning rosters. So yes, this thing is a lot more art than science. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap up uh, this week's episode of the Shamrock. We'll be back quite a bit during the summer. Get maybe, back into maybe a, we'll do our, it together over Michelob. Yes, <laughs> yes, Michelob Ultras, the one that you owe me. Um, <laughs> what a sad state of affairs that is. But yeah, we'll. We'll uh, keep rolling with the Shamrock through the summer, get back into guest mode uh, now that spring practice has come and gone. Um, plenty of good stuff to talk about because, like we said at the top of the show, this will be one of the more interesting seasons of Notre Dame football that I think either of us have covered because um, there's so many questions to answer, uh, which means there's a lot of podcasting to be done. So until then, he's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of the Shamrock. Shamrock.